Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. When you read a story to a child, the way I look at it is you're like planting a seed. And the whole thing about a seed is you can't see it. It's hidden. Nothing may happen for a very long time. And it's almost none of your business what's happening with a seed. Your job is to plant it. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here. This is episode 60, and I am so grateful to be here with you on the Read Aloud Revival podcast. I want to tell you two important things before we get started with today's guest interview with the lovely and inspiring Sally Lloyd-Jones. First, we are getting ready to open doors at Read Aloud Revival membership. Now, if you've been around here a while, you know that we don't open up membership too often. This is actually the only time we're planning to open registration in 2017 until the fall. So if you want to get in on our awesome lineup of member-only goodies, now is the time. We feature in membership live online events with rock star authors like Tommy DePaola, Patricia Polacco, Andrew Peterson, Jane Yolen. We do one actually every single month. And these are live video streams where your kids can submit their questions, get them answered live on air. People who come to them tell us they are life-changing. We also provide master classes to help you, the parents, make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids. We have nearly a dozen of those master classes available for members to watch. And we provide members with complete transcripts, printable show notes, and cheat sheets for every single episode of the podcast. Those cheat sheets highlight the best takeaways and quotes. And recently, I asked Read Aloud Revival members what their favorite part of membership was, and that was one of the things they mentioned. So super helpful. And then we have this wonderfully supportive forum. Uh, Truly, just picture over 2,000 families just like you who want to make meaningful and lasting connections with their kids through books, giving one another book recommendations and troubleshooting issues that crop up and offer homeschooling support. It's so, so good. And I can tell you all about it if you head to rarmembership.com and check it out there. Be sure to get on the waiting list there because that's how you know you won't miss registration when we open it up later this month. We're only opening membership for 10 days and then it's closing again until the fall. You don't want to miss out on your chance to join. So head to rarmembership.com and get on the waiting list there definitely do that. (laughs) Okay, one more thing I want you to know. We're doing a giveaway. The wonderful folks at Zondervan are giving away two beautiful copies of the Jesus Storybook Bible by today's guest, Sally Lloyd-Jones. We're giving those away on our Instagram feed. If you want a chance to win, head to instagram.com slash readaloudrevival to enter. 
The first book that Sally Lloyd-Jones ever read was The Complete Nonsense by Edward Lear, and she says she hasn't been the same since. Sally, who so many of us know as the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, grew up in Uganda and was raised in East and West Africa. She even attended boarding school. A Brit who came to the U.S. for a few years but ended up staying. She currently resides in Manhattan and says she has the best bosses in the world. Children. Her books include the critically acclaimed How to Be a Baby, the Christian Book of the Year, Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, and the one we all know and love, the Gold Book Award winning, The Jesus Storybook Bible, which, by the way, has sold more than 2 million copies and been translated into 30 languages, and it turns 10 this year. And my four-year-old Clara was just reading hers this morning. (laughs) I'm so thrilled to have a chance to talk with you. Sally, welcome to the Read Aloud Revival. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Well, it is a complete pleasure. I am really excited to finally talk to you. I have been following you online and listening to some of the audio I could find from you and reading your articles for a long time. So it feels like a moment here today for me to get to talk oh, to you. So nice. Thank you. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your work before we get started? Sure. I mean, you did such a great summary that I, I don't know if I've got anything except I'm, yeah, I'm a Brit who was born in Africa. I'm sort of, and I came to America, like you said, thinking I was coming for a year, but ended up staying. So my whole life started off as an adventure. And I feel like in many ways, that's the place I always need to be when I'm writing, especially for children. I think that sense of playfulness and wonder is really great to have. And I, you know, living in New York, you walk out of your front door, New York City, you walk out of your front door and there's an adventure waiting to happen at all times. So, (laughs) you know, yeah, I'm very grateful to live here. I would never have predicted it, but It's kind of the great place to be as a writer. Well, I love what I've heard you say before about writing for children, which is that children's authors need to write up, not down to children. So can we talk a bit about that? What do you mean by that? Oh, yes. Yes. That's one of my passions. I'm very, feel very strongly about. I think, unfortunately, people underestimate children and it may just be that they, you know, people are sort of sometimes, I think, a little intimidated by children because they don't quite know how to relate to them. But I think they're just people. They're just little. And they have so much to teach us that I think when you, and children are so polite, that's the other thing. I mean, the thing is, well, you know, you can patronize them and they'll just be smiling at you. But I know that inside they're just bored. And <laughs> you know, so true. So I think the key is if you talk to a child and you get down on their level, that means you're on your knees. And to me, that sums it up. You come to a child with humility Mm. because children can teach us so much. We know this. Jesus himself said that children, you know, treated children in that way, didn't he? He had time for them when everyone else said that was they weren't important enough and they needed to go away and Jesus was too busy. That's not at all what was the case. Jesus was never too busy for children. And I think the feeling I have about writing is when you're writing for children, your job is not to dumb down and make it sort of really idiotic so they can understand it. It's the opposite. It's you're distilling, you're taking the truth and you're taking it down into its essence and Mm. putting it in words that young people can understand and hear. And that actually means you've got to work hard. So I think sometimes maybe it's laziness. I just think, you know, really, if we believe that children are the way Jesus looked at children, then we should be working doubly as hard as writers for children because 
the responsibility is so much greater. We need to really, what an opportunity, and we don't want to miss it. And so I feel very strongly about that, that they deserve our best work. Okay, so that reminds me a lot of something else I've heard you say before, which is Mm -hmm. this idea that books don't exist to teach children lessons. And I think as adults, we have this tendency, especially when it comes to school life with our kids, Mm -hmm. whether our kids are homeschooled or they're in a traditional school, or we have this idea that children should read because it teaches them something. Yes. So that's not what you're saying. No. Yeah. No. I, I Well, I think obviously there are books that teach us things. And I think obviously there's a place for that in school. But I, if you're telling a story, a story is not a lesson. A story is a story. So I think I would define it like that, that when you're writing a story, if you've got some kind of agenda you're trying to get across and a moral lesson, it will end up being, it may be a very good lecture and it may be a very good lesson, but it's not going to be a good story yeah. because a story, the power of the story is the story. And I think we tend to underestimate the power of story. And I think all of us, I speak for myself as well and adults, we're all more comfortable with rules and programs and points and bullets because we're in control of all of those things, but you're not in control of a story. Mm. And when you read a story to a child, the way I look at it is you're like planting a seed And the whole thing about a seed is you can't see it. It's hidden. It may not, nothing may happen for for a very long time. Mm. And it's almost none of your business what's happening with a seed. Your job is to plant it. And as a telling a story is planting a seed. If you really believe, it, it really comes down to two things. Do you believe in children and do you believe in stories? Because if you believe in both those things, you will be able to give children fantastically wonderful stories and let them, let God work in them, not you trying to, you know, hammer it home and drill it down and say, because when you say, now you read a story and then you go, now children, what that means is (laughs) you basically just killed the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now we all do it and I do it myself and I tell this story on myself because I don't want anyone to think I think I know everything because I certainly don't. I once was reading one of the stories from the Jesus Storybook Bible to a, a Sunday school class and I'm very good at keeping children out of control, but I'm not very good at getting them in control. So <laughs> I, I was reading this story and I panicked and no, no Sunday school teacher was around. And I just read the story of Daniel and I, I just panicked. And I thought, well, what do you do in Sunday school? Oh, you have to ask, less, make, you know, ask questions and make it a lesson. So without even thinking, I said, so children, what does this mean? And this story, while I was reading this story, a little girl, I have to say this, she was so excited for the story. She was almost in my lap. She couldn't get enough. She couldn't get closer to the story. You know, she just kept yeah. She was full of wonder. And then yeah. I said, now, children, what can we learn from this story about Daniel, about how God wants us to behave? <laughs> and the minute I said that, it was like I laid this huge burden on this little girl and broke some kind of spell. And she physically slumped in front of me and hung her head. Mm. And I never forgot it because I realized that's exactly what happens to a child when you take a story and you turn it into a sermon. That's right. There's a, you wrote a beautiful article and we'll link to this in the show notes. So if you're listening to this podcast and want to read the whole article, it's so wonderfully done. It's called What Stories Do. And in it, Sally, you said, stories don't tell the truth confrontationally. They don't coerce you. They don't argue with you to believe them. They just are. The power of the story isn't in summing it up, drilling it down or reducing it to an abstract idea. The power of the story isn't in the lesson. The power of the story is the story. 
When God sent the prophet Nathan to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan didn't confront David with a sermon about his sin, but told him a story. David didn't see it coming. The story got by his defenses. And that's the thing a true story does. It doesn't come at you directly and raise a wall of defense. It comes around the side and captures your heart. Oh, (laughs) I read that and just thought, oh my goodness, because it's kind of like, I know I've heard before that Aesop's fables, um, they never actually had a moral at the end, but at some point, somewhere along the line, the adults who were reading these and sharing these with children thought that they needed to have a moral spelled out at the end. And I think that's what we do so often. I do it with my kids, even when I know better. But I love this permission you give us to just share the story with our children and then let the story do its magic on our child's heart and let God speak to our children through the story. It's such a freeing way to be enjoy stories with our kids when we don't feel like everything has to be shaping them in some particular fashion, right? Oh, well said, because I think it's a lot of pressure on parents and the adults in the child's life to feel like they've always got to be teaching, having a teachable moment. And there are obviously those moments, but I think a story is the time you don't have to do that. And yeah, like you said, you can enjoy it. And truthfully, you know, the Bible is a story and we're not in control of it. We like to focus in on the rules in the Bible because we can get a handle on them. But it's not a, it's, it's a story and we're saved by story. And I think stories are so wonderful. You know, we're story, I think Eugene Peterson said, we're story shaped. Our lives are story shaped. Mm. beginning, middle, and end. So everything about a story is so in us, and God's done it that way deliberately. So let's talk about your writing. Have you always written for children, or what drew you to writing to kids in particular? Well, I think I didn't, you know, I had no particular plan. I knew I loved writing. But, you know, you mentioned my book that I, my first book that I read, The Complete Nonsense. Part of what was so (laughs) wonderful about that book, and I recommend it to everyone, and not many not that many people I've met in America seem to know about it. So I have I, I'm never gonna, heard you know, of it. I have I'm never. On, I can't even believe this. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> a really terrible loss. I'm on this one person mission to get everyone in America to read it. Okay, great. We'll put it a link in my, our show notes. <laughs> yeah, it's so fantastic. And it's completely insane. So I open up this book as a seven-year-old. And I thought books, going back to that whole idea, were to teach me a lesson. And I was a very dreamy child. And I didn't always want to be learning a lesson because I always felt I wasn't clever enough. So I opened this book and it's a revelation. It's all this silly drawings and funny limericks and that he did himself, Edward Lear, who was a genius, of course. <laughs> he And I just didn't know that was allowed inside a book. I didn't know you were allowed to have so much fun. Ugh. That's, I think, what changed everything because from then on, my poor family and friends, I started writing silly limericks and inflicting them on them. And then <laughs> whenever, whenever a child at school, at my boarding school had a birthday, I would do cartoons and illustrate them and write them myself and then we would put on plays and I would direct and choreograph and write I mean I was obviously completely mad but (laughs) you know when you're a child you think you can do everything which I love about children they don't limit themselves Mm. so reading Edward Lear I was just having fun then you know I grow up and I study art history I go to university do art history then I think well when you've got art history you can either be a art gallery person or a publisher. So I apply to all those things and I get a job in publishing (laughs) and I end up in the school textbook division. So all of this is sort of seemingly completely random and haphazard. But I I started Oxford University Press and I'm trained in the school textbook division, which was a great training. I had a wonderful boss and Oxford University Press was more like college than a job. But down the corridor was all this laughter coming and it was coming from the picture book, children's picture book department. 
And I then and there decided, well, I'll, this is literally what I thought. I thought, well, I'll never be able to, I'd love to write them, but I'll never be able to because I'm not good enough. I'd love to work on them. I'd love to work in picture books. So that was my dream. And then I get a job in London and then I see a job advertised in America. And at the same time, I see the job advertised in America, which was for a publisher. I was also applying to another job in London that was to work on picture books. So I was convinced that the job in London was going to get me my dream. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't, you know, I was still in interviews with them and I didn't get it. I got the one in America. So I came to America thinking, well, I didn't really get that dream, you know, because that would have been the way to even get close to writing picture books. But all these years later, (laughs) I come to America and it's exactly how, you know, I end up working in publishing in children's books. I get to know the business. I'm not writing picture books, but I, I'm in this packager, which is like a very crazy paced publishing company. And they ended up as an editor, you had to come up with all these, the content for these unusual format books. So you'd be told by your boss, we want a book that can squeak and float. <laughs> and we're going to have four titles in the series and you have to come up with a story. So that was my job. So through the back door, I started writing all these texts. That was part. I didn't even think I was writing. I just was coming up with all these ideas all the time. So I kind of, meanwhile, I was writing one act plays and thinking I was going to be doing that kind of thing. And then my nephew was born. And suddenly, instead of writing these board books for an imaginary child, I had a real child. Mm. And that, that made all the difference because suddenly I had Harry sitting in front of me and I thought, well, I can't say that. He wouldn't like that. It suddenly made me really honest. And I thought, how would I say it to him? And that's how I, so all of these pieces, it's a very long answer, but that all those pieces came together and I ended up finding my niche in children's. And I, I just also believe it's because I never really, I'm still a child inside. So that is part of why it fits so well for me. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. So what was the first picture book that you wrote then? So it was called Handbag Friends, which was a wonderful book shaped like a handbag. Mm -hmm. 64 pages out of print now, but I still, it's probably one of my favorite things I've ever written. Oh. Yeah, it's really, it's got a monster. It's got a song and I adore it. And I, I just was completely free in there to tell a story. 
Uh-huh. It's shaped like a handbag. And there are all these little friends. And the inspiration for that came when I was talking to my little niece, Olivia, and she was about three and her brother was five. And he only wanted to play trench warfare and guns. And mm-hmm. she didn't really want to play that, but she didn't have anyone else to play with. So she would go into battle holding this pink handbag. And it just I just thought, that's so sweet. And I said to her, what do you keep in your handbag, Olivia? And she went, my friends, of course. <laughs> Of course, yes. Of course. What was was I thinking? Not lipstick or anything. Friends. Friends, of course. So that was my first book. It was fun. Oh, that is fun. Okay, so the Jesus Storybook Bible has to be the favorite children's Bible of pretty much everybody I know. (laughs) I mean, just we all love it. My four-year-old has several different children's Bibles, and that's always the one she grabs first. It's always the one she wants us to read from. Tell me, well, she's a very smart girl. She she? is (laughs) (laughs) very discerning. Uh, Tell me what that was like. Was that your idea? Was that a publisher's idea? How did that project sort of come about? Well, again, it's with any book. It's like there are so many different pieces that have to be in place, and the first thing is. I always say it, all of your life prepares you to do what you're doing, right? So everything about my life fed into that book. The fact that I, when I was little, I knew Jesus as my best friend, but I went to a, a Sunday school that it was all about the rules and I hated it. And so there was this passion in me to have no whiff of morality in that book. And that comes from my childhood. So that was one piece. Another piece was I'd had all this experience working in Christian publishing. When I was working in publishing, I got a name for doing Bibles. I was writing them, you know, in that job where I was given those weird format books. So, I, you know, I'd be told, we want a Bible with a handle on it. Now you've got to come up with what would do. Just write it because they didn't have money for the writers. So anyway, that was another piece. Then I also had a marketing idea that an agent came to me and said, what about writing an older book? Because I'd written lots of younger Bibles, very, very condensed ones, like two lines a story. Okay. And they came to me and they said, well, what about writing for older? And I was at that time at Redeemer where Tim Keller is preaches and he's my pastor here. And he teaches every single sermon he preaches, always turns back to Jesus. And every sermon shows how Jesus is in every story in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, as much as the New Testament. Hmm. So that, that was another piece. So all these pieces were coming all together. I start doing the, and the other piece was I needed the money because yeah. I didn't have any income. I'd been laid off in massive cutbacks from the publisher. I had no income. So God had me in this position. And I like to say this because he will use the most mundane reasons to get you where he needs you to be in order to get you to do what he wants you to do. So he presented me with this opportunity. I wasn't really excited, to be honest, because I didn't realize. I know my calling is to all children, especially children who've never gone anywhere near a church. So I had no vision at that point because I don't believe I'd got the book yet. I didn't realize that a Bible could reach all those could fit into that category. I thought a Bible was just for the church. Yeah. So I wasn't really excited because that's not my main passion. I mean, obviously, I'm passionate to reach people in the church, but I feel that my ultimate main calling is to just reach every child. So that was kind of like, oh, but I need to do it because I need the money. So God got me in that position. I start researching the book and it was probably it was before and after moment. One day I would have said to you, yeah, I'm going to do a good job. I'll get the money and then I'll move on to the books that I really know I'm supposed to be doing. This one's okay. I have to do it. But it felt to me like, well, that's kind of what I used to be doing. And now I'm moving on to 
picture books. So that's my attitude. But then the next day, I would have said, I actually, something changed. And I, I now believe it was the Holy Spirit just setting my imagination on fire. And that's when I think I got the book. I know I got the book then because everything changed because I suddenly thought, wait a minute, I could give this everything and then it would be amazing. Mm. And from then on, I wasn't doing it for anything other than I loved it and I was passionate. And I just thought, what would C.S. Lewis do if he had to write a Bible story book for children? <sighs> That's a great And it suddenly <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it, it raised the bar way higher. And I was in it because I was my imagination was on fire. So it was a completely different thing. And I, I'm just so grateful that God, he so will work with our humanity. And he knew I needed money. And he was very clever to get me in a position where I really had to do it. Otherwise, and he knew he was going to give me the vision of what it could be, but I didn't have it when I started out. So it's almost like, I always think it's like those disciples when he turns to them and gives them a few tiny bits of bread and says, feed all these 5,000 people. Yeah. yeah. They had to take that bread and turn around and go. I sort of feel like that's what it was. And he multiplied it. So And multiplied it, he did. <laughs> because. Yeah. And now you can watch it on video and there's a wonderful audio version. And of course, coming out, in fact, by the time this episode airs, it will already be out a beautiful cloth bound gift edition, right? Absolutely. And, and, uh, it's gorgeous. And the other thing that's coming out, I don't know if you know this is also a board book for the tiny tots. Oh, where we've taken the paraphrase of the Lord is my shepherd from the Jesus storybook Bible. And it's in a padded board book version with new illustrations, which Jago has done and it's I fantastic. I didn't and it's know Found. that. And it's that's available now? That'll be available. Yeah, February, same time as the okay. anniversary edition. And it's called Found. Was it a scary task for you to write? I mean, I can hear so much joy like it was just play, especially when you said, what would C.S. Lewis do if he was writing a Bible for children, which I think is, I love it. <laughs> oh, um, I know. It really, kind of raises the bar so high. It really good. does. It might be a little intimidating. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, You know what it almost is like? It's almost like, what would you be proud of giving to someone like that? I mean, if you thought he was going to read it, it really makes you not settle. And I think that's what changed in that moment. I was going to do a good job because I always wanted to do a good job. But suddenly it was more like, oh, gosh, this could be what an amazing challenge and sort of like a wonderful puzzle to put it together. And that, and then you're just you do it. You don't tell the publisher, but I would have done it for free because <laughs> it's not the it's never really about the money, you right. know, in the end. Right, right. I mean, could you have even imagined when you were writing it that it would be translated into more than 30 languages and, no, and be transforming I, the lives a, it is? Yeah. Oh, it's just such an honor. And, you know, I like to tell this story of, and I can't remember exactly but when it was, but I think it was like in the 18th century. There was a, a London, in London, there was a pastor who was interviewing a young guy who was coming to be part of his parish as a you know, curate or something. And the young guy said in the interview, you know, I don't think my preaching, I don't think I could set the Thames on fire. And the older guy said, well, I don't want to know if you can set the Thames on fire. What I want to know is if I dangle you in, will it sizzle? <laughs> and it's a great story. And it, I read that and it, what really spoke to me, what God spoke to me through that, I think was, yeah, our job in our work is to be excellent and be on fire. And for me with the Jesus Storybook Bible, my job was to sizzle. I needed to be on fire passionate about what I'm writing. This is true of all writing. Unless it's something that really moves you, it won't move the reader. Mm. You can't fool people. You, it has to come from that place that moves you so that it will have any kind of life. So if you're, so that to me is my part of what God called me to do. But whether or not the Thames it catches fire is completely up to him. 
So in that sense, with the Jesus Storybook Bible, he set the Thames on fire. That was his doing. I know I had to sizzle, but it could easily have not been that way. And so when I hear these stories and I see, I mean, it really moves me when I realize 33 languages and the newest language they're working on is Arabic, oh, wow. which I oh. ask everyone to pray for because what an amazing, wow. I mean, these translators are often risking their lives. Yeah. Oh, And absolutely. it's just so fabulous. I, I'm, you know, when I hear stuff like that, it's like, how lucky am I to get to hear that? Because often we do work, we never know the impact. So whenever I hear a story like that, I just think, that was a gift to know to keep going, you know. Yes, what a gift. You know, and also I think if I'd known any of this, I'd been so intimidated, I never would have written it. <laughs> exactly. So I was glad. <laughs> exactly. So, so that was another thing, you know, that God protects us. We don't have all that knowledge because then we can just unselfconsciously do what we're called to do, you know. So good. Well, what I think is so appealing about this storybook Bible for children and for the adults who read it with their children is that it completely lacks that condescension that we sometimes feel when we're reading Bible stories. And so it's, yeah, I love that. It's also when you talk about how every story whispers his name, it's that whisper is a very important word there because you're talking about how it just whispers to us all in a different way within the reaches of our heart. And like you said, it's like that seed that's planted that we have no business of knowing what it's doing in there, (laughs) right? We just have to plant it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so good. I wonder if there's other suggestions you can give or other thoughts you can share for parents who are looking to help explore their faith with their kids through stories in this way that really respects the child like you're talking about. Well, one of the things I learned when I went to a wonderful school the, it's the mustard seed school in Hoboken. I had a friend who was the headmistress and she invited me there and they celebrate imagination. And it was the sort of school that I went to as a young girl mm. that really was so good for me. It's not good for every child, but for me, it was fabulous. And so I adore that kind of school where they value writing as much as they value math. You know, I didn't really thrive in schools where it was just the measuring of the math and the science and your writing didn't seem to count. Anyway, in this particular school, I went to their, what's it called, prayer in the morning, assembly, I guess. And I learned there something that's really helped me, so I'll share it. What's really good is to ask I wonder questions. It's not that we don't ask questions after the story, but I wonder questions are really good. So, for instance, if you're reading the story of the feeding of the 5,000, instead of saying, now, children, what does this teach us about how we should share our lunch, which completely makes the whole story so dull and mundane, you say, I wonder what would happen if I gave God everything I had? What would happen if I gave Jesus everything I have? I wonder what Jesus would do with that. And what that does is, again, you're back on the level with the child. You're kneeling with the child. You're on their level. And together, you're wondering at God's love. Because the truth is, we don't come at children from on high. We kneel on their level. And together, we wonder at our Heavenly Father's love. Because we're all children. So I think if you do that with children, you're respecting them and you're, you've got a right-sized view of them and of yourself before God. You know, oh, That's so, so beautiful. And I, what I love especially about that is I feel like the best conversations I have with my kids about books of any kind, stories of any kind, are those where I'm not trying to get them to say a certain answer or trying to direct the yeah. conversation. 
but it's more like we're allies or we're, you know, yeah. we're just sort of on the journey together, opening That's open-ended exactly questions. I love that so I much. Know. I wonder, I'm going to remember that. I think also we're the ones who lose out. If we have, we want them to answer a certain way, it's kind of bullying, isn't it? We're bullying them to do what we want when really, what about, what about this idea? What if we could learn something from them? Mm-hmm. What if mm-hmm. what they say, God speaks to us about? So I think that goes back to the humility. If you're on a child's level, you're on your knees and you're listening to them and they will teach you because a child, they still, especially a younger child, they still have that wide open, you know, like a, like animal, like a dog has. I mean, they're nothing like dogs, but there's that, that thing that gets your heart when you're with a little child and right. with a dog. They're open and they're trusting and they're more, sometimes I think they're just more available to God and more, they'll just say it. So, you know, we don't want to miss out on what God might say to our children. Well, and when we violate that, I think we know right away, just yesterday, <laughs> just yesterday, yeah. my mother-in-law was over and asked my four-year-old what she wanted to be when she grew up. And without missing a beat, Clara said, a robot. And <laughs> I giggled. And yeah. she looked at me with these big, wide eyes, kind of challenging me and said, why are you laughing? And I thought immediately, <laughs> I thought, oh, my, whoops. Uh, so I had to tell her I was thinking <laughs> of something so hard, else that then. was funny. I know, because it was darling, right? But the thing is, you weren't mocking her. You were, it's that thing that children do to us. They just get a heart. Yeah, they? yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They I certainly do. Well, we are yeah. all so very grateful that you listened to the whisper in your own heart to write this for our children so that we can enjoy the stories, the Bible with our kids in a fresh way. And I would encourage anyone who's listening to go check out the Jesus Storybook Bible if you haven't yet. We'll have links to all the gazillion different versions in the show notes. So all you need to do is go to Read Lot Revival, look for the newest episode, and you'll find them there. Sally Lloyd-Jones, thank you so, so very much for coming to chat with me today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi, my name is Jupiter, and my favorite book is... Mr. Petter and Tabby for the tea. And my favorite part is chapter two and chapter three. And how old are you? Five. And where do you live? Texas. Bye. Hi, my name is Amelia, and I live in Texas, and I'm nine years old. And my favorite books are The Chronicles of Narnia, and I love them because... My dad read them to me, and it's fantasy. Bye. My name is Claire. I am five years old. I live in Tennessee, and favorite book is Trumpet of the Swan. And my favorite part is when Serena and Lewis fall in love. Hi, my name is Carol. I live in Fairfield, Connecticut. I am nine years old. My favorite book is Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I like it because it's scary, interesting, and funny. Hello, my name is Patrick. I am seven years old. I live in Fairfield, Connecticut, and my favorite book is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I like 
The part where Harry battles the basilisk. My name is Addison by Kara Fairchild. I'm from Mobile, Alabama, and I'm five. And my favorite book is Where the Sidewalk Gets because it has a lot of different poems in it, and it's a unicorn one. My name is Noah. I'm three, and I live in Australia, and... My favorite book is Harry Clary, and I like of Harry Clary books. I'm Scarface Claw and Zachary Flat. My name is Jacob. I'm six years old. I live in Australia. My favorite book is the Mission Fox series. I like it because it has snake story in it, big, and I like, really like snakes. It's very fun. My name is Laurel. And I'm four years old, and I live in San Antonio, Texas. And my favorite book is Frosty the Snowman. There's a note because there's a note on his bench, and it says, Another time his friends will come. My name is Rylan. I am seven years old. I live in San Antonio, Texas. My favorite book is Hank the Cowdog. I like Hank because he is funny. He gets things mixed up a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much, kids. Love hearing your messages. If your kids would like to leave a message to be aired on the Read Aloud Revival, just head to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you'll see how easy it is to do that. Listen, don't forget to head to the rarshop.com. That's the Read Aloud Revival shop where you can find hand-thrown pottery mugs, cozy t-shirts, durable book bags, and support the podcast at the same time. We so appreciate it when you do that. And you know what? We so appreciate it when you listen and when you share the podcast with your friends. You are what make the Read Aloud Revival worldwide community so wonderful. We're grateful for you. We'll be back again in two weeks with another show. Until then... Go build your family culture around books. Mm-hmm.